you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we look forward to hearing from you, and we ask that you would open your word to us today and speak a message into our hearts. Bring us transformed attitudes, transformed minds, and transformed souls. Lord, we ask you would reveal yourself in your word and in us today. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, this is Labor Day weekend, and I, I know a lot of you look forward to having that little extra time off and, uh, you know, just a little extra time to do what you do on days off, like barbecuing and things like that. For me, my honeydew list is already on the fridge, and I'm kind of ready to go. Uh, tomorrow is Labor Day, and for most people, this is a national holiday, and it honors the contribution of workers and the labor movement down through our history. Uh, but I want to use it today to think a little bit about work. You know, we, we don't talk about the theology of work very often, and I want to do that from a biblical point of view this morning. So why do we do what we do? Why do we work? Well, there's a lot of reasons we work, right? For example, we work for money. Our society isn't based on a barter system, so we have to have some money, some income, so that we can pay for food and clothing and housing, uh, you know, for most of us, for a significant portion of our life, we work. And uh, it takes up a lot of our time. We need to work to survive. Uh, but we also need to work to thrive, don't we? I mean, not to just get by. We hope to not just get by, to hopefully get ahead a little bit and, you know, maybe have a nice home, a car to get around, a little space to call your own. And, and, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. You know, the, the only problem with working for money and making that the only reason that we work is that it can become a main goal. It can turn us into materialists. You know, anytime, you know, it, it's funny because you can have, be a materialist at both ends of the scale. If you're not paid enough money, it means that every decision that you make is based on, on having cash, on having money, right? Uh, if you're at the other end, you can become materialistic if you have sort of at the higher end of the scale, and you become obsessed with things. When we don't just work to achieve what we call a decent living, we have to be careful about not working just to have more of everything. You know, if you're working for stuff, you're never going to have enough, because that's just not a goal that satisfies the soul. You ever notice how when you get something new, um, you know, something that you've hoped to own for a long time, it, it loses its luster pretty fast. I mean, when you first get it, it's like it's, you're excited, it's like having a new toy or a new thing, and, and you know, it's real all shiny and everything, but it, it's as if in no time at all it begins to lose its newness. And it might even just be weeks old. When you obtain it, it's as if in no time it, it stops being so shiny. And you don't value it as much over time as you did when you had it at the beginning. Some people become obsessed with possessing. And that's where working for money, I think, can become kind of a rot in your soul if you're not careful. I, I have some plants in the garden, and I have some plants in my office that I can't water too much. If I water them too much, they get sick because what will happen in some of these plants is the, the roots will get so soaked that they'll begin to rot. 
and, and you don't see it at first. It's not until the plant starts to die and it's too late because the, 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 the nourishing part of the plant is already dead. And you know, when we get so, so obsessed with things, when we get so wrapped up in that part of culture, you know, it's like our roots start to rot because that's not what God created us for. Matthew 6 and verses 19 and 20 remind us that the things that we possess don't have eternal value necessarily. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not, vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, you know, we need to prioritize a treasure that's eternal. We need to invest in things that have long-lasting value uh, instead of just focusing on earthly possessions. And, and let's face it, you know, the world's values have always been messed up. And when we adopt the world's values, we become messed up too. Our focus is in the wrong place. And we work for a lot of other reasons too, don't we? We work for pleasure, we work for self-fulfillment, we could work for prestige or for personal growth. Maybe we work altruistically to contribute to society or we work to pursue our passion or our interest. Or maybe we just work because we can't afford not to work, you know? Sometimes our work isn't so pleasant. Sometimes it's not what we would like it to be. There are times when our work doesn't feel fulfilling. It doesn't feel encouraging. In fact, sometimes it's just plain hard. I, I hear people use the expression, work is a four-letter word, you know? And I get that. But you know, work did not start out as a curse. I think we get the impression that work is the result of the fall, and that's not true. Before the fall, there was work. It existed before the fall. In Genesis 1, it says, then God said, let us, oh, let's go back. We'll get there. It's way back there. There it is. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they will rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. There's that phrase in there, so that they may rule. You know, and when we think of a, a ruling, you know, I think, there's a, a part of us that sort of jumps to or automatically goes to something a little more negative. But humans were given here responsibility over all the living creation. They were given authority and dominion. That doesn't imply some kind of reckless use or exploitive use of creation. It's a responsibility given to mankind to steward it, to care for it. And Adam and Eve had the job of managing and nurturing the earth and all its creatures. You know, when we say steward, it's something that we do in a way that reflects God's own character and it honors his creation. Man is even given the responsibility and the privilege of naming all the animals. So if you see some animals with weird names, that's our fault, you know, at least our ancestors. 
In the second telling of the creation of Genesis, in chapter 2, in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. To work it. That's work. That's work. There is some kind of work that we were created to do right from the very beginning of creation. Well, then something happened, right? Some of the elements of work got changed. And in fact, some of the elements of work were actually cursed. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, that's work, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, why, is up, why is that up there? How many women would agree with me this morning that, with the statement that being a wife and a mother is work? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just shy. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Sometime before the fall, childbearing and being a wife was not meant to be so hard. It suggests, actually, that that easier childbirth and a more co-equal relationship was the intention. And it got harder because of curse. This, this is a harder life. That came to Eve, and thank, you know, there's good Eve. She passed it down to generations after her. This part is listed here to help us remember that there was a change. Things got harder. Now, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it, because of that, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, that's work, you will eat food from it all the days of your life, and it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. Now listen to the next part. By the sweat of your brow, that's work again, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. So the harder, unpleasant, back-breaking parts of work are part of the curse. It wasn't supposed to be this hard. That wasn't the way God created it. But because we are descendants of Adam and Eve and and, and we, it's come down through all the centuries, all the generations to us, some of our work can be very hard. Even if you love your job, you know, there are going to be some aspects of your job that you don't like, I'm sure. You know, early mornings or late nights or, uh, depending on where you work, commuting. Some of you have uh, commuted long distances over the years. Um, difficult bosses, employees, employers, you know, all of that can be part of the difficulty in your work. You know, there are, there are going to be parts of your job that you might even hate that you don't like doing, but you do it because it's part of the job. It goes with the turf. But originally, it wasn't supposed to be this hard. But some aspects of work came under that curse. And God says to Adam, you know, your whole life will be hard work until you return to the dirt you were made of. Let's face it, even, even vacations can be hard, too, can't they? You know, you can, you ever get that feeling? You ever say to yourself when you're coming back from vacation, man, I need a vacation after my vacation. 
you know, to recover from it. Retirement, you know, we think of retirement as a time of rest, but retirement can end up as a time of work. You know, some of you I know, um, you know, you're busier now than you were when you were in regular employment. You know, maybe you're watching grandkids, you're, you're doing things here and there, serving in different places. I don't want to be sexist, but, you know, in retirement, there's no escaping the honeydew list, is there? Just sit, look straight ahead, guys. Don't say anything. <laughs> I thank God that there is redemption for our work. You know, that hard part, that fallen part, that cursed part. But there is redemption for it. Work can be a blessing. You know, God never tells us we're going to go through life without any difficulty. He never says that we're going to go through life without any pain or any suffering or struggle. In fact, he's upfront about it. He warns us in advance in his word that there's lots of that coming in life, especially if you follow Jesus. Well, there's an incentive. <laughs> Why would you want to follow Jesus if it's going to get harder? I contend that the work is redeemed when you follow Jesus. Now, I don't mean following him begrudgingly, you know, like following Jesus for fire insurance, you know. Uh, I'm following Jesus for fire insurance so I don't go to hell, you know. I mean, that's not really a very motivated thing. Well, it might be motivated, but it's not motivated in the right way. And I don't mean following Jesus with half a heart, you know, just sort of going through the motions. I mean, when you follow Jesus with your whole heart and you follow his teachings, your work can and will be redeemed. We spend a lot of our lives searching for purpose, don't we? Why am I here? What's the meaning of life? You know, what do you think this whole sexual identity crisis is about? Uh, it's, it's all about the question, who am I? Who am I? What do you think the drug and the opioid epidemic is all about? You know, for so many, like me and my youth, drug experimentation started with looking for some kind of purpose beyond what was going on right in front of us. You know, I, I remember, you know, as a, as a teenager, and I, I would go to school, and after school was football practice, and after football practice, I'd hitchhike home, and then as soon as I got in the door, waiting for me, and my parents had a hotel and a restaurant, and waiting for me, where the dishes all stacked up in the kitchen. And I would do dishes from the time I got home, usually till about nine o'clock at night or so. And after that, I would get to do my homework. You know, I had not so great grades. And it wasn't because I wasn't working hard at it. It was just because I was plain tired. And so, you know, as I looked forward, you know, as much as I, I really loved the hotel and restaurant business, as I looked forward, all I could see was more of this. You know, I envisioned this stack of dishes there all the time. And I didn't really want any part of that, you know, not as a teenager. And so I began to experiment with drugs. And, and I didn't realize that, that we were on a search for God. We didn't realize it at the time that that's what we were looking for. We were asking that same question, why am I here? What's my purpose? Is this all there is? <laughs> What's my meaning? And, you know, it happens to both men and women, but very often, especially to men, I think we wrap our identity up 
in our jobs, in our work. And I know it happens to women too. But, you know, if we make our purpose the job, what happens when the job is gone? I've seen so many people just wandering around, lost, because they've hung everything. They've hung their hat on their job. And then the job is gone for one reason or another. I've even known a few people over the years who died within weeks of their retirement. I knew a man in my first church, the first church I ever pastored in Toronto, and, and um, you know, they had, he and his wife, they had saved up their whole life for the retirement. They had bought a retirement place. They had vacation plans. They had all kinds of things planned, and, and they were ready to go, and he retired. And, and then it was like he just sort of stumbled. And within three weeks, he was dead. It, it was like... He lost his purpose and he just gave up because everything had been wrapped into the working towards part and not in the, you know, enjoying life part as we go and then receive, receiving that sustenance from God. You know, and again, I'm not trying to stereotype or be sexist here, but, but research shows that many empty nest middle-aged moms experience some severe feelings sometimes of grief and depression. And they say that both men and women at that stage in life experience loneliness and sometimes marital dissatisfaction. People bury themselves into outside work and into activities because that work of parenting that they've done so long is hugely reduced at that point when the kids move out. Work. <laughs> Our lives are so tied to work in the home, in the workplace, in the church. Our lives are so tied up in it. But you know, all of our work can be a blessing. It can be redeemed. We can survive work. We can survive the loss of work. And we can even find satisfaction and blessing in some very difficult kinds of circumstances through work. And there's a way we can do that. You want to know how we can do that? We do that by keeping our eyes on our Redeemer and working not just the job we're given, not just working for the boss, but first and foremost, working for God himself. Now, don't cringe. I know that sounds like I'm asking you to pick up a few more jobs at the church. <laughs> That's not really what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about, here's what I'm talking about. Colossians 3. Chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I know the immediate argument that jumps to mind, hey, in its context, that was written to a slave about serving the masters. And it is. That is what, it, what its context is. But think about this. God's saying this to somebody in the direst of circumstances, in a place at the very bottom of the ladder of life, even in a place where they had no control even over their own body. And the Apostle Paul reminds the person that in such circumstances, 
even there, even in these worst of circumstances, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you are working for the Lord. And that's not just for slaves. It's for all of us. It's, it's something we can't ignore. It's a transferable principle. And it can be applied to all of us in all of our lives. And it doesn't matter where our standing is on the social ladder. No matter where we find ourselves. And you know, in God's way, there is some delayed gratification, isn't there? I mean, our society today says, you know, if you don't like it, don't do it. And if there's no quick payoff, it's not worth doing. You know, there's this immediate gratification that we seek. But Paul says, the payoff is coming. The payoff is coming. Do it all for the Lord because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. Do you know the story of Brother Lawrence? I read his little book, The Practice of the Presence of God, when I was a new Christian in college. And uh, it's, a, it's a short read, but it's quite profound. Brother Lawrence was born in France near Lorraine in 1614. He grew up in the time of the Thirty Years' War where all the countries in Europe were fighting. And lots of them were fighting each other and they, some of them would change sides and get fighting against the people they were allies with to begin with. And, and he had nothing. His family was dirt poor. And so poverty forced him to join the army. And that at least guaranteed him some meals and some small amount of money. I mean, he didn't have anything. And so, so joining the army at least guaranteed that. Well, when he was 16, he had kind of an epiphany. After a, a battle, he looked out over a field, and there was a tree in the middle of the field, and it was bare. And God gave him some insight, maybe even a vision here. As he looked across this blackened field from all the battle and saw this bare tree standing in the middle, he realized something. That in two months, that tree would be full of leaf and full of flower. And as he thought about that, he began to see the tree as a symbol of God's ability to transform the human heart. And it started him on a spiritual journey. Well, that didn't last too long before he stumbled again because life took an abrupt turn. He, he um, had become wounded in some pretty intense battles. He had a very bad leg wound. And uh, in fact, he ended up limping and having difficulty walking for most of his life. And because of that wound, he left the army, and he took a job as a valet, and he was working for a short time when the war came to town. And a, and a German army was marching through, and they grabbed him, and they charged him with being a spy. Well, eventually, they had to let him go because they realized he was no spy. And, and also because he was so brave through the whole thing. And part of it was this faith that was still there in the background in his life. As it turned out, they were marching towards the town that they had captured him in. And, and they led him off into his own town. But the town was not the same as it was before he left. Before he left, the town had 2,660 residents. When he came back, there were less than 400 people alive. And it was devastating. And, and he didn't know what to do with his life. And, and 
as he struggled, he began to revert more and more back to his childhood faith and began to realize the need for faith in his life, that that was the only thing that had any answers. And he ended up going and he joined a monastery. You know, he served the rest of his life working in the kitchen and repairing sandals. He worked as a cook until his wounded leg made it too hard to stand. And, and so then they gave him the lowest job in the place, and that was repairing sandals. Not exactly what you would think of as important work. But they say that Brother Lawrence found God among the pots and pans. What's so impressive about him is he began to live this verse that we were just talking about. If we can put that verse back up again. Scrubbing the pots and pans, whatever he was doing, he began to do whatever he did with all his heart, working for the Lord. That became his focus. And so scrubbing the pots and pans and cooking over the hot stove or working on those smelly old sandals became times of prayer and worship. And the more he did this, the more his character grew. And in fact, his character became so well known. They say he was really a rough-looking guy on the outside. I mean, he'd been through it. He was really scruffy. But they said that he had this heart that just kind of shone through. And pretty soon, people began to seek him out. Not, not just people in the monastery, but people traveled you know, from distance to see him. Leaders in the church and, and leaders in the, in the political scene and and the poor began to recognize his heart and really appreciated his generosity. And people began to come and seek him for spiritual guidance. Many years after his death, his writings were collected into this little book that I read. And you know that little book has been around a long time. It has been loved by spiritual giants like John Wesley, and A.W. Tozer, you know, they loved and they recommended and gave away copies of this book because it inspired them so much. How could a man like this, a nobody, somebody who retreated to the monastery because he was in such pain from all those terrible, horrible things he'd been through, how could this man who repaired sandals, worn thin by dirty feet over the years, how could this person affect so many people so profoundly. It's because he learned to live the words of Colossians 3, 22 and 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Think about how you engage with God. How do you engage with God? Do it through prayer, right? We do it through worship, you know, gathering here on a Sunday or in smaller groups. We do it through reading his word. You know, and we, we do it, you know, and as we fellowship with one another, there's a sense in which God ministers to us through each other, right? But what about seeing work as service to Christ? What about learning to worship God through your work? And I'm not just talking about, you know, being regularly employed. You know, it might be just taking out the trash, doing something hard. What about seeing your work as a time for prayer? Or work as a prayer 
itself, which I think is the way that Brother Lawrence did that. You know, when we do it as unto the Lord, it can change your perspective profoundly. And this is an area I admit I'm working on in my own life. I, I need to strengthen it in my own life. And I, and I think when I grasp it, I believe I will be changed. Brother Lawrence said, we ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. You know, with work comes a need for rest, right? Those things are kind of paired. God built that into his creation cycle of seven days. That seventh day, that Sabbath rest was important. And, and Jesus recognized this when he was teaching. He said, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He called them yoke fellows, fellow workers. He calls us that. There needs to be a balance. That's what Sabbath is about. Tomorrow is Labor Day. What an oxymoron that is. You know, <laughs> it's Labor Day, a day when we do no labor. Makes no sense whatsoever. But I pray that you find rest in it. I pray that you also will find God in your work, whether it's laboring in a factory or doing the really hard labor of changing diapers. Or maybe it's working in an office or laboring in a ministry that you feel God has called you to. Whatever it is, whatever it is you do, do it as unto the Lord. And I believe it can profoundly change your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask your blessing for these people, your people, no matter what their work or labor is, Reveal yourself to them, no matter where they serve. It's all service to you. You find it all worthy and all valuable. Strengthen each person in their tasks. And Lord, draw them close to your heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to shift gears and move into communion.